Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Across the state of Georgia, around the nation, on Facebook Live this morning as well. Uh, We begin in Congress yesterday with uh, just the craziest, most absurd scene. And I'm not talking about the Republicans going into the, the confidential room where they were interviewing people about impeachment. We will get to that. Uh, I I don't think that's as big a story as this story. Uh, This was just, it was genuinely bizarre. It it, it was a a very weird moment in congressional history where you had uh, a a House committee hearing on Libra. Uh, Libra is a cryptocurrency that is being produced by Facebook. Now, what is a cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency, it's essentially a digital currency. There's no paper transaction. Um, it is, well, uh, let me give you online a the Wikipedia definition. A cryptocurrency is a digital asset, meaning there's no paper or coin. It's all online. Uh, it's designed to work as a medium of exchange uh, that uses cryptography, computer code um, that that's hard to break, to secure financial transactions, control the creation of additional units, and verify the transfer of assets. Cryptocurrency uses decentralized control as opposed to centralized digital currency and central bank systems. The decentralized control of each cryptocurrency works through distributed ledger technology, typically a blockchain that serves as a public financial transaction database. It's all gobbledygook. What exactly is it? Um, Let me do my best to explain it to you, and I am no expert um, I'm sure there are experts out there who could do a better job than me, but let me let me do my best to explain it to you. Essentially, you know what an algorithm is. Let, let's just let's take let's at 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 root. Let's let's do very basic. Um, let let's do this in a very basic way. Uh, let's let's use prime numbers. You know what a prime number is. A prime number is a number that can only be divided between one and itself. So, for example, two is a prime number. Um, one times one is one. So one times two is two. Uh, and there you go. Um, there's a prime number there. Two can be divided into two, which gives you one and two and one can be divided into two, which gives you two. It's you, you get what I'm saying. Three, three times one is what three, what times, what times what can get you three? Well, nothing just, just you got one and three, four, uh, is a composite number. Why? Because, uh, one times four is four. Two times four is, is four. Four times one is four. So there are multiple numbers that can go into four. Five is a prime number. Um, One times five is five. Uh, There's nothing. Two times two is four. You'd have to go two times two and a half to get to to five. So it's it's a prime number. Seven is a prime number. Two, three, five, seven, eleven, and on it goes. So let's say there's a cryptocurrency based on the prime numbers. Well, uh, someone who owns the number two, well, they've got prime they've got cryptocurrency someone owns the number three someone owns the number five someone owns the number seven someone owns the number 11 well prime numbers uh get very expansive the further you go up um 
It becomes harder and harder to find prime numbers. You need a computer to actually do the math to make it very hard to find prime numbers. They go on to infinity and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you need uh, bigger and bigger and bigger numbers to figure them out. So you got uh, 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, and, and it just goes more expansive. And each of those, let's say, that's a cryptocurrency you have. Well, you need a computer. You know, the first ones are very obvious. They're very cheap to get. The, the further out you go, the more, the more computer hardware you need to find them. And that's essentially what cryptocurrency does, that someone builds an algorithm that makes it hard to find. You run computers to find those numbers, and each time you find a number based on an algorithm, there, there's your coin. And it becomes harder and harder the larger the numbers go to find those coins. But you can have them. And what happens is there's a computer system where everyone around the world who wants to use this, this uh, cryptocurrency, they have access. They say, okay, the number two, it's assigned to Eric Erickson. The, the, the number th uh, three, it's assigned to Joe. The, the number 11, well, that's assigned to Patty. Well, Patty wants to exchange, wants to give uh, to Eric, to buy something so she gives her number 11 to eric well now eric's got two and he's got 11 he's got two prime number coins in the cryptocurrency and it's traded off the books it's it's traded on computers it's a digital asset if you then want to convert it to a real currency you can go to certain places that will cash in your cryptocurrency basically they're poker chips and they'll give you real cash if the governments don't want to accept them the governments don't have to accept them and there's your fatal flaw with cryptocurrency if a government says you can't use bitcoin you can't even trade bitcoin in this country well then that's there's a problem for you what you need to understand is that china is working on cryptocurrency and the reason China is working on cryptocurrency is it's a way for China to undercut the United States. Uh, if China can develop a cryptocurrency that anyone in the world can use to trade, and it's based on the Chinese money and it's not based on American money, well, then the exchange rate favors China. It doesn't favor the United States. So when people cash it in, they got to cash it in on a Chinese currency equivalent, not on an American dollar currency equivalent. And so if China can get this widespread around the world with people trading in Chinese money, one, they can track people, and two, they can undercut American and European currency reserves. Well, along comes Facebook, which does not do business in China. And Facebook, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I admit I may be totally butchering some of this. If you're an expert, uh, you can call in and correct me. I'm, I'm doing the, the best I can based on all the reading I've done. Um, Facebook wants a cryptocurrency and unlike the other cryptocurrencies out there, Bitcoin is the one most people are familiar with. Bitcoin is used online on what's called the dark web frequently. Um, the reason Bitcoin is used on the dark web is because you, again, cryptocurrencies are very hard to trace. Um, currently because there aren't any governments involved with them. It's just this random stuff online with an algorithm that people who want to use it all have access to it. Nobody know, knows who owns a particular Bitcoin. 
but someone can use an app that registers them as the Bitcoin user. It's, it's secure in how it connects you to your Bitcoin. And you're, you can go onto the dark web and you can buy drugs or you can engage in human trafficking. You can buy weapons of mass destruction. You can buy a newspaper. You can do all sorts of things on the dark web. It's not just for illegal activity, but most people use the dark web for illegal activity. Although the BBC, the British, British Broadcasting Corporation, when I was a kid, I had a shortwave radio. And we lived in Dubai, and I would listen to the BBC and the shortwave radio. Uh, I could listen to the Voice of Moscow, the Voice of America, the BBC. Anyway, BBC has announced they're going to start a dark web news site uh, because if you run, if you operate on the dark web in countries like. Iran and China, uh, Iran in particular, not necessarily China because it controls all the internet coming in and out of the country. China, uh, Iran does not have a great firewall like China does. There are multiple entry and access points in Iran, but the government can go in and snoop around and see who's accessing the internet. But they can't if you're on the dark web. So the BBC is starting a dark web news channel in Iran uh, so that resistance people in Iran can access the news that isn't controlled by the Iranian state. Well, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies used all over the dark web to buy drugs. Um, if you live in, let, let's say you live in, uh, let's say you live in Jasper, Georgia. And you go online and you buy yourself some Bitcoin. You can go on websites online and you can uh, transfer American dollars and you can convert them into Bitcoin. Then you can go on the dark web. You can find a website that sells drugs and you can buy drugs. And when you, until you give them your home address and say, hey, here's my name and my delivery address. Send me my bag of heroin here. No one has any idea who you and your Bitcoin are. So you can do this stuff fairly securely. Uh, or at least people think you can. Now, Facebook wants to get on, on the cryptocurrency action. Uh, they want to bring it out of the shadows, so to speak. Right now, Bitcoin is just something that libertarians and, and fringe people use. Uh, but I repeat myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Facebook wants to bring it out of the shadows. Facebook wants to develop a cryptocurrency that can be used worldwide. Now, why does Facebook want to develop a cryptocurrency? There are a couple of reasons Facebook wants to develop a cryptocurrency. One of the reasons Facebook wants to develop cryptocurrency is because uh, Facebook is now a global company and it, it has to deal with bothersome exchange rates. So, for example, uh, Facebook has to, when they go into India, they've got to convert from the dollar to the rupee and work in India. If they could just work off the Facebook cryptocurrency, they wouldn't have to worry about losing money in exchange rates, or they could control the exchange rate to give them better terms. On top of that, you have a bunch of people around the world who have a real hard time because of exchange rates. Exchange rates are, let's say, uh, when I was in, grew up in Dubai, the currency in Dubai was Durham's. Uh, and you could get uh, three Durham 60 fills. Basically, a Durham is a dollar and a fill is a penny. You could get three Durham 60 fill for every American dollar. So I've got uh, a dollar and I go cash it in an exchange rate and I get three, three Durham's and 60 fill. Well, exchange rates fluctuate terribly. There aren't a lot of controls over exchange rates um, by companies. they got to deal with governmental entities. Facebook would be able to control the exchange rate. It would be beneficial for poor people to have access to Facebook's Libra because Facebook could control the exchange rate for them and drive down the cost for someone in India to be able to buy something in the United States without having to worry about multiple government controls and exchange rates. At least that's the theory. Facebook seems to think you put a platform together 
where you have your Facebook uh, cryptocurrency and Target uses the Facebook crypto. Target doesn't use Bitcoin, but Target uses uh, uses dollars. Let's say Target is willing to use the Facebook cryptocurrency. Someone in India could cash in their rupees into the Facebook currency, and they could buy on Target online without having to worry about global exchange rates and things like that. That's the theory. Target or Facebook is trying to get big banks to go on board with it. PayPal was on board. Uh, I think Chase and MasterCard and a number of others were. They're all backing away from Facebook now as Facebook comes under the government spotlight. Facebook still wants to do it. That is a long and winding and confusing explanation, I realize, but the basic gist of this is it's a digital currency. There's no paper money. There are no coins. It exists online, and it's based on math. It's based on a mathematical formula um, where you can get some money uh, based on this formula where once this, once you have a value, you've got the number one. One is the loneliest number, but you've got it. Well, then you've got a Facebook coin. Um, the next person has, let's say the next number in the algorithm generates three. So you've got a one, someone else has a three. You've each got one coin. Now you've got a five. In addition to a one, you've got two coins. Well, and then you can go online, you can exchange them and governments are never involved. There is no government transaction. There is no paper money. Uh, the conversion rates are fixed by Facebook. You back, none of this is backed by a global superpower. Facebook wants the U.S. on board, and the U.S. is having hearings. Well, they had the hearing yesterday on this. What a roundabout way to get to this point. I apologize. But you need to understand why they were having the hearing. Congress is concerned that Facebook is creating a global currency system. Facebook wants to create a global currency system, and Congress is suspicious of it. And one of the things that Facebook points out is China's doing this. The United States is not doing this. Why not let the American free enterprise system do it? Well, there's a problem. People don't trust Facebook anymore. By the way, full disclosure, Facebook sponsored my conference last year. We're actually in discussions right now on whether or not to have the conference this coming year. Uh, but Facebook is sponsored the conference last year. We had them there. We invited them to come on stage. They didn't want to. Um, but uh, I, I did not ask certain companies. Everybody who comes has to be invited by me, and I invited them to come, and they were willing to sponsor. Well, Facebook probably needs to do a better job of explaining their Libra uh, cryptocurrency. They're having real issues explaining it. And they went to Congress yesterday to answer questions. The problem is that Congress critters do what Congress critters do. And yesterday, Democrats in Congress were way more interested in grilling Mark Zuckerberg on whether or not he hires enough gay people and black people. And does Facebook kill black people? And why does he allow conservatives on Facebook? And why isn't he protecting people from Facebook? I kid you not. It was a farcical, farcical hearing. I actually played some of it in the last hour yesterday because it was happening. Uh, Zuckerberg on Capitol Hill. When we come back, you need to listen to some of this because it was amazing to watch. Forget the spectacle of Republicans storming the committee. You actually had members of Congress yesterday urging a private corporation to protect Americans from those same members of Congress. It was rather bizarre. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. That'll get you here. Now, I'm talking about the Facebook 
hearing on Capitol Hill before the House of Representatives where it was supposed to be about the the cryptocurrency Facebook wants to develop to use globally to uh, that American corporations would be able to compete with the Chinese communists, which are developing their own. And it kind of descended into farce. Here's Congressman Green. Well, thank the witness for being here today, uh, sir. Is it true that the Libra Association oversees the Libra project? Uh, Congressman, yes. And is it true that global corporations make up the association? Congressman, the, the association is made of uh, today 21 companies and nonprofit organizations as well. Of the 21, how many are headed by women? Uh, Congressman, I do not know the answer to that off the top of my head, but I can get it you, for you. Well, I believe you can get it, Mr. Zuckerberg, but I, one would assume that you would know who heads these corporations that are going to be running this global company. Um, how many of them are minorities, Mr. Zuckerberg? Uh, Congressman, I, I do not know off the top of my head. Are there any members of the LGBTQ plus community? LGBTQ plus. Associated with this association, Mr. Zuckerberg? Uh, Congressman, I, I don't know the answer. Who, conf uh, who acknowledge? There are many people who acknowledge that they are a part of the community. Sorry? You do, not, you do not know. Mr. Zuckerberg, is it true that the overwhelming majority of persons associated with this endeavor are white men? Uh, Congressman, I, I don't know off the top of my head the list of the people who are running the organizations in, in the, the association. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it, it, so we don't know if there are gay people, transgender people, black people, Hispanic people. We have no idea. How many amputees are there, Mr. Zuckerberg? <laughs> uh, it, 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 the whole thing was, was insane, but it wasn't just him. Listen to Maxine Waters. First on diversity and inclusion. Facebook has utterly failed. Facebook's executive ranks and workforce continue to be mostly white and male. Since Reverend Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Push Coalition Jesse called Jackson. upon Silicon Valley companies, including Facebook, By the way, but wait, 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 Well, there are. I've been out there. There, there is some 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 silicone in the works out there. But uh, no, it's it's Silicon Valley. Statistics more than five years ago, the representation of African Americans and Hispanics has increased by less than two percent. Facebook also told us that they have zero dollars managed by diverse firms. On fair housing, Facebook has been sued by the National Fair Housing Alliance for enabling advertisers to engage in discrimination on its advertising platforms. The U.S. Department 
of Housing and Urban Development has also filed an official charge of discrimination okay. against well, Facebook for its advertising practices. Now, j- just so you understand that what she's talking about here is that Facebook has a very robust targeting platform. I can go in like, well, you know, when we start first launched the show back in August. Uh, we would go in and we would find people, let, let's say our, our first station outside of Athens, our flagship station's Athens, uh, WGAU. And uh, we then went up to WCHM in, in Clarksville, Georgia. And we targeted people around uh, Clarksville who lived within 20 miles or so of Clarksville who were conservative and who liked talk radio. And we linked to um, the local station's website to send people there to make sure they knew the show was on. And then we did it when we launched in Rome and Dalton and Jasper, um, Vidalia and Valdosta and the like. And you can do that to anyone. And that's what she's complaining about, the ability to target people. I, I got to play just a little more audio from this Facebook thing before we move on, because the thing was just so bizarre. Uh, one of the issues was, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was there. Uh, and, well, let me just play you this. Sorry, I, I, can you repeat that? Would I be able to run advertisements on Facebook targeting Republicans in primary saying that they voted for the Green New Deal? I mean, if you're not fact-checking political advertisements, I'm just trying to understand the, the bounds here. What's fair Congresswoman, game? I, uh, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. I think So probably. you don't know if I'll be able to do that? I think probably. Um, do you see a potential problem here with a complete lack of fact-checking on political advertisements? Well, Congresswoman, I think lying is bad, and I think if you were to run an ad that had a lie, that would be bad. That's different from it being, uh, from it, from, for, in our position, the right thing to do to prevent uh, your constituents or people in an election from seeing that you had lied. Um, so we can, so you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. Congresswoman, uh, in... I'm not talking about spin. I'm talking about actual in, Yes, in most cases, in a democracy, okay. I believe that people should be able to see for themselves what politicians that they may or may not vote for so are you saying won't take judge them their down. character for themselves. So you won't take, you may flag that it's wrong, but you won't take it down. Congresswoman, it's, uh, it, it depends on the context that it shows up. Organic post ads, okay. the, the treatment is a little One different. question, one more question. In your ongoing dinner parties with far-right figures, some of who advanced the conspiracy theory that white supremacy is a hoax, did you discuss so-called social media bias against conservatives, and do you believe there is a bias? Uh, Congresswoman, um, so I don't remember everything that was in the, send- in, in the question. That's all right. I'll move on. Can you explain why you've <laughs> named The Daily Caller, a publication white, uh, well-documented with ties to white supremacists as an official fact-checker for Facebook? Congresswoman, sure. We actually don't appoint the independent fact-checkers. They go through an independent organization called the Independent Fact-Checking Network that has a rigorous standard for who they allow to, uh, to serve as a fact-checker. So... You would say that white supremacist-tied publications meet a rigorous standard for fact-checking? Thank you. Uh, Congresswoman, I would say that we're not the one assessing that that standard. The International Fact-Checking Network is the one who is setting that standard. Yeah, so just so you understand here, what Alexander Ocasio-Cortez wants Facebook to do is to protect you from her. She doesn't want Facebook, if she were to lie 
and say that a Republican voted for the Green New Deal. She doesn't want Facebook to show you that if she ran it as an advertisement on Facebook. And Zuckerberg's position is, no, you should be able to run that advertisement and people should be able to see that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is spending money lying about other politicians, which I think is the fair way to go. You go through, you you let her put up the ad that's lies. She's a politician. Politicians all lie. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez lies. Let her put it up. And then show everybody that she's lying. I, I don't have a problem with that. The idea that Facebook should say, no, no, you're lying. See, Facebook is not a media network. CNN, the, the reason this came up is that CNN refused to run an advertisement uh, by the Trump campaign that they thought was misleading. Facebook ran the ad. And progressives are upset that Facebook allowed the ad to go up. And Facebook's position is, we're not a news organization. If a news organization on its news network says this is misleading and contradicts our news, we're not going to put it up. That's fine, but we're not a news organization. We're going to put it up, and if you don't like it, leave a comment to it and say it's wrong. What's what's wrong with that? Uh, Her other thing was the Daily Caller. So the the Daily Caller is a conservative website. I'm assuming you know it's affiliated with Tucker Carlson, who I don't think has any day-to-day management roles there. Uh, But they have a a nonprofit group uh, tied to them that employs fact-checkers. The fact-checker is not a regular Daily Caller reporter, and he goes through something called the International Fact-Checking Network, which is part of the Pointer Institute. And the Pointer Institute, frankly, is a left-of-center group. But the International Fact-Checking Network certifies who all can be a fact-checker at Facebook. And if the person meets the parameters for fact-checking, they're, they're not a, engaged in regular partisan reporting, their sole focus is on fact-checking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, they're allowed to be a fact-checker, and the Daily Caller is allowed to have a fact-checker at Facebook. And I think that's a good thing. What she's upset about is that conservatives are able to fact-check progressive sites. She does not like that. She does not like that conservatives are allowed to do that sort of fact-checking. The whole thing was bizarre. Okay, I I lied. Just listen to Congresswoman Joyce Betty. The other was around setting up a civil rights task force. And, and who's on the civil rights task force? Cheryl Sandberg is the person who who's, she's... Well, civil rights. Okay, we know Cheryl's not really civil rights, so I'm trying to help you here. She's your COO, and I don't think there's anything, and I know Cheryl well, about civil rights and her background. So come better than that for me, if we're going to talk civil rights. It's an internal task force. Do you know who the, do you know who the firm that you employ for civil rights is? Uh, Congressman, I, I don't know. How could you not know when you have employed the most historical, the largest civil rights comp- firm to deal with issues that are major? And, and this is what's so frustrating to me. It's almost like you think this is a joke. When you have ruined the lives of many people, discriminated against them. Do you know what percentage of African Americans are on Facebook? in comparison to majority folks? Do you know what the percentages are? People using the Facebook Yes. Do you know what the percentages are for African Americans? I don't because we don't collect the races of people. Well, it it came out in a report and in the Pew Research uh, Center that was sent to you. 
Uh, Pew surveyed people to find out. Facebook doesn't collect that data. Maybe you just don't read a lot of things that deal with civil rights or African-Americans. I have a lot of questions I'm going to send to you that I'm not going to be able to get through, and I would like an answer because this is appalling and disgusting to me, uh, and I yield back. Wait, uh, apparently, Facebook is killing black people. Who knew Facebook is killing black people? This is a little bit bizarre. There was more from her, too. Again, let, let me get into asset management. Certainly, that's a large industry, as we know. Uh, something like a $70 trillion industry. A $70 trillion uh, dollar industry? more than $46 billion on record in cash or cash equivalents and marketable securities. Are any of these funds managed by diverse-owned companies? Yes or no? What? Yes or no? Congresswoman... Yes or no? I, I, don't, I don't believe... So I take that as a no. What? You have a state... He doesn't know. Firms that so he's colorblind and she's demanding quotas. ...on your legal cases around the country. How many diverse-owned or women-owned law firms are contracted <laughs> by Facebook? It's a shakedown. No, just give me I a mean, number or did Jesse Jackson no, write the question? I take that as I don't know. How many women or minority partners work on these cases? <laughs> well, I don't know wait, 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 wait. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I needed, as a former lawyer who worked at a law firm that was hired by major corporations, I can assure you the CEOs of those corporations had no idea how many men, women, uh, black, Hispanic, Asian, white, gay, straight, transgender people worked in my law firm. Okay, so did you review the packet? Let my time. Did you review the packet that went out in notification to you and your team? I, 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 wow. I'm sorry. Um... Uh, I am, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted, um, by that where, where I need, I got to find the audio. Yes, we need the audio. It's got to be played. You know it. And I know it. We need it. Shopping. If oh, they're going to, they're going to play a stupid ad first. No, we need the Billy Madison ad. There are no points and we're all dumber for having heard you. Everyone is now dumber, and may God have mercy on your soul, Congresswoman Joyce Betty. I got to get that Billy Madison audio on file. <laughs> wow. Y'all, and he sat there. He had to sit there. He had no choice. He had to sit there. He had to listen to that. Poor guy. Uh, Maxine Waters went on TV afterwards and, and had some thoughts. Well, I think there are still some answers that uh, we need to explore. Uh, we did not get all of the answers that we need about some of these issues. And uh, we're going to have to keep working on every aspect of our concerns uh, about Libra and about Facebook and also about the freedom of speech issue, uh, about the targeting, about the uh, algorithms. Uh, so we have a lot of work to continue to do. About the targeting, about the, I really do think that she thinks that the algorithms target black people. The algorithms are coming. The That's it. That's it. The algorithms are tied to Al Gore, and so it's all about global warming, harming uh, environmental racist communities or in communities of color and environmental racism. That's it. All goes back to Al Gore. The algorithms. <laughs>
these people write the laws of this country. Maybe Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is right. Maybe Facebook really does need to protect us from Congress. <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't want to be protected from congressmen's thoughts and words and commercials. I want to be protected from their stupid policies written by these people. My goodness gracious. This is crazy. He's there to talk about a cryptocurrency and they're interested in how many minority people work at a law firm that might represent Facebook. These are insane people and they're writing your laws. They're also old. They're also really, really old. How old is Maxine Waters? Maxine Waters has been there forever. Um, Maxine Waters is, holy cow, she's 81 years old. Um, what about Congressman Al Green? Al Green is, he is, well, he's only 72. Good gracious, though, still 72 years old. These people don't know what a Facebook is. They hear Facebook and they think it's it's their high school yearbook. Joyce, Betty, 60. You got all these people who are in their 70s and 80s questioning Zuckerberg, who's in his 30s, about a technology they don't even understand. This reminds me of my grandmother. When I was a kid, we lived in Dubai. We came home one summer and we had an, an old, old house in Louisiana that we lived in. We rented it out where we were going. And one summer, there weren't any renters. So we decided we would stay in our own house for the summer instead of staying at my grandmother's. And we, because we were doing work on the house and all, well, we didn't have a phone in the house. My grandmother had a phone at her house and we would get phone calls at her house and she would bring, uh, she would bring us messages. Well, one day she got the bright idea. You remember those big AT&T mobile phones where you actually had the antenna, you pulled out the antenna, the metal antenna, you pulled it out. It was a big phone. It was the, the size of a regular phone back in the day. And you would hold it up to your face. It's this giant big thing. And it had a big pad. It had a big antenna on, on the base, but you could carry it around the house and talk on this thing. Uh, those were the first mobile. This was this is the mid '80s. I was probably in sixth grade. And my goodness, here comes my grandmother. We we live a mile away from her, and she's bringing the portable phone. She actually told someone to hang on, and she got in her car and she drove a mile to our house with us. By the time she got there, she said hello. And the poor dude, it was my, my sister's boyfriend who was calling from overseas, no less, and he had been disconnected. <laughs> That's the type of person who's asking Facebook about a cryptocurrency. People like my grandmother, who didn't understand that she couldn't carry the portable phone that far away from the base unit. Holy cow. This is this is just this is crazy. Okay, we need to move on. There there are there's another story. We there are actually a lot of. I didn't st- intend to spend the entire time on this. Uh, I was going to talk about Kelly Ripa. You know Kelly Ripa, uh, Kelly Ripa from um, oh what is it now? It's it's Ryan and Kelly. It used to be uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, and then it was Regis and Kelly, and now it's Kelly and Ryan or some such. It was Kelly and Michael or I have no idea. Anyway. Kelly Ripa is getting ripped online. Why? Because her son is in college. And Kelly Ripa and her husband, Mark Consuelo, did not grow up rich. And they want to instill in their children a work ethic 
And so when their kids hit 18, they got to go get a job and they got to go to college and they got to work in college. They're not going to fund their way. If they're in college and they're working full time um, and, and they're away from the house and they're paying their rent, it's good for them, according to Kelly Ripa and her husband. And she said that her, her son is finally learning what it's like to be poor. That he's he's really excited. His grandparents are sending him twenty bucks, and he keeps calling the house, wanting to know if the twenty bucks is there because uh, between paying for school and paying for rent, he doesn't have money to go hang out with his friends, and he wants the twenty bucks. And people are horrified, nasty, mean, horrified that she would require that her son live in poverty and pay his own way. People think she's first of all, they say that she's insulting poor people by making her son live like this when he doesn't have to and saying this he's in extreme poverty because he's living uh, 20 bucks at a time on ramen noodles. Oh, she's insulting poor people. She's having none of it. She has pushed back at them and said basically said, get a life. Uh, she's not going to apologize for it. This is the way her, her husband and her have raised their kids. Uh, this is the way they were raised. There's nothing wrong with it. She's teaching her son a work ethic and people who are complaining about it, tough. And she points out that the people who are complaining about it are people who probably don't live as poorly as her son is living, and they're not going to go help him out. If he wants food, he can come home and eat at family supper. Otherwise, he can raise money and buy food for himself. Good for her for firm parenting. She's probably being a tougher parent than I am. Good for her for doing it. Uh, outrageous that people are all they're on that series of tubes called the Internet. If you're a member of the House Financial Services Committee, uh, they're probably on Facebook complaining about it. Uh, but good for her. The outrage mob is insane. Uh, and part of that outrage mob resides in Congress. And poor Mark Zuckerberg had to deal with it yesterday. Can we talk about the child in Texas? I, I'm assuming you've heard about this. It, it has it started spreading all over uh, conservative media in particular. Um, a, a child in Texas... Uh, the mother of the child wants the child to transition. Uh, the child is seven. Uh, Georgulus, I think his last name, Jeffrey Younger is the father. Uh, and Jeffrey Younger and his ex-wife, uh, Anne, Dr. Anne, they're going through a messy divorce. And, uh, Anne uh, says that, um, that she wants to allow for uh, James, one of her seven-year-old twin sons, uh, to transition into a girl. Um, and the father says, now they've gone through a messy divorce. This child is seven years old and has a twin. And it seems just obvious to me from the outside that the child is, is acting out with the parents going through a divorce and fighting each other and uh, distinguishing himself from his twin. Uh, he's acting out in some way. But a jury has awarded the mom custody. This is being badly reported to some degree. The jury has not ordered the transitioning to happen. Uh, the judge decided all that stuff. And essentially, uh, all the jury did was decide custody. But with the jury deciding custody in favor of the mother, the judge in the case has ordered uh, that the father and everyone else must affirm this child's gender. If the child wants to be known as a she because mom says so, then everyone else has to refer to the child as a she. Which is kind of insane. You know, I, I, I put online uh, that this is one reason a lot of conservatives will stick with Donald Trump until the bitter end. There are 
survey after survey after survey that shows there is nothing Donald Trump can do that will dissuade evangelicals from supporting him. And I got to tell you, I think this is why. Um, I, I very much think that this is why uh, people are backing uh, this uh, Donald Trump, because you see the left coming unhinged and pushing stuff like this. A seven-year-old doesn't know what he wants for dinner, let alone whether or not he wants to change his entire body to be a girl. Now, multiple people have pointed out that the they can't begin giving the child hormone therapy yet. They will wait until the child hits puberty. And after the child has gone through puberty, they will begin the hormone therapy. But until then... Everyone who comes into contact with the child will be required to treat the child as a girl because the mother insists so, because she says that's what the child wants. This is a, a, demented, if not demonic. Um, this is a bizarre cultural moment in the West. You know, and this is not actually a, a big deal in a lot of uh, even European countries. It's it's definitely not an issue in uh, Asian countries and African countries. This is a peculiar tendency within the affluent English-speaking West, more than anything, uh, to embrace transgenderism as something normal. And, you know, in, in the, the DSM, which uh, lists mental illness and whatnot, uh, gender dysphoria and whatnot is considered a mental illness, but you are accused of a hate crime if you point that out. Um, the problem here is we know from Great Britain where this has been happening that a lot of kids who Great Britain was an early adopter of transgenderism, uh, a lot of kids are now want to move back and some of them have had uh, mutilating surgeries to alter them so that they can't move back even though they've suddenly decided, you know what, actually it was a phase I was going through. Or they've been on hormone therapy that's messed up their body. And the long-term ramifications of this stuff we have no idea. We are we are headed down roads that we should not as a society go. And again, it is rich Western, mostly English-speaking societies that are doing this. And if you don't go along with what is clearly against science, against nature, and against sanity, you're the bad person and will be shunned. Look at always and the and the tampons and getting rid of the female symbol because of less than 1% of the country being outraged. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, around the nation, on Facebook Live, everywhere you want to be. Well, that's where we are. Uh, the phone number, if you want to call into the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to talk about an issue developing in Georgia. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the Republicans storming Congress and, and the like, uh, but this is actually an issue and it's start, starting to circulate. There are, uh, there's legislation now being drafted in North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, uh, and, uh, Missouri, SEC states, uh, for the most part, uh, and SEC and ACC states, uh, to mirror California. And the issue of whether or not athletes on college campuses should be paid or have access to agents, uh, the legislation in Georgia has not yet been uh, formally filed. And the legislature, of course, in Georgia doesn't meet until uh, until November or until January. 
But it's already starting to get buzz. Uh, it's it, a Democrat, uh, Billy Mitchell. As I was looking for his name, Billy Mitchell is a Democrat in the Stone Mountain area. He's filing this legislation, and it will allow college athletes at UGA uh, to hire agents and get money in defiance of NCAA rules. California passed legislation uh, very recently that allows student-athletes to make a lot of money. I've got some thoughts on this, and I'm happy to take your thoughts as well. If you want to call in, it's 877-97-ERIC or 877-973-7425. That's 877-973-7425. 7425. The reason I give the number that way is is I suspect there may be some people who've never called in before who might want to. Um, if you want to, that's fine. I, I, I'm concerned uh, with the legislation that this member of the, of the state house has drafted. And I was talking about this on my other show yesterday and had several members of the state legislature who were listening. They were all texting me on it. They've got concerns. Uh, Personally, all of us kind of oppose abolishing the NCAA. Uh, I accidentally said yesterday the NAACP. It's it's the NCAA is the issue. So let's use Georgia as an example. My flagship station is WGAU in Athens. Uh, A lot of people there listening. And essentially, this legislation would allow Jake Frum to go out, hire an agent, uh, get endorsement deals from Nike, Under Armour, or whoever. And um, even if that company may not have a deal with UGA, he would be able to advertise for them and make himself a lot of money that other people on uh, UGA's team may not be able to do. Would that then cause some level of jealousy so that certain players on the team are mad at him and want him to not do well on the field, and so they cause problems on the field that cause UGA to lose in order to make Jake Frum look bad because they're jealous of him? I mean, listen, people are, are jealous sinners. It, it's a real possibility. Uh, there, are, there are real morale problems. Well, what about the, the tennis team? Uh, let's say you're, you're at Appalachia State. Uh, Appalachia State. Your, your football player is able to ink a deal because he's a, a star performer, uh, but you got someone on, on the school golf team or tennis team, and those are money-losing teams. They have them for Title IX purposes more than anything, and they're upset because they're not getting money. How is it fair that the, the the big teams, the football team, the baseball team, the basketball team, those students are able to get deals, but the tennis team, the shoot, oh, the shooting team. Now, I bet you the shooting team could actually get some deals. Uh, I bet you the shooting team, particularly a girl shooting team, a rifle team, could get some really cool endorsements uh, from Beretta and the like, get some ammo deals. That would be kind of awesome. I'm trying to get my 14-year-old daughter to join the shooting team in our school. Um but there will be some kids who are left out. Now, all of this is to say um, there are a bunch of solutions floating around, but there's also reality here we should discuss. There are families that are poor families, and those families have a student who who is a gifted athlete, and that gifted athlete heads off to college, to Appalachia State, to University of North Carolina, 
to well they wouldn't go to tennessee but um maybe vandy <laughs> um they're in football they're not going to tennessee uh they, they go to uh clemson or uga or georgia tech university of alabama somewhere and um or auburn and the family is banking on them to go to school they're on a scholarship and they're going to bring money home they're going to bring money home and that's going to help their family. That's a real that's a real situation out there. Uh, when I was uh, growing up in Louisiana and at LSU, there were several kids whose families were dependent on them from either way south Louisiana or north Louisiana, poor families, uh, most often black families, who their kid was excelling at LSU on the football team and and. They needed the kid to do well, and the kid was going to elevate them out of poverty based on his raw talent on the football field or the basketball court. And if the kid got injured and couldn't play, it was devastating. Or if the kid got in trouble and kicked off the team, it was devastating for the whole family. And in some cases, let's not deny it happens. In some cases, at wealthy schools with a huge booster club and, and a donor base, they slide money under the table to the kids or to the families. It doesn't happen at every school, but it happens at some schools. And you have big schools where it doesn't happen and big schools where it does happen. And kids get wind of it and they want to go to the big school where it does happen. They don't want to be at the big school where it doesn't happen. Now, if you're at, at um, with Rick Patino, Rick Patino, or I, I guess they're, they're odds, you, maybe you can get strippers and blow too. Maybe. I, r- rumor had it. Uh, what, wasn't that him? Um, what is it? Um, Patino, uh, basketball, prost, um, you, you had all sorts of, yeah, Louisville, um, Yes, here's the headline from last year. Louisville may forfeit basketball championship over a sex scandal. NCAA on Tuesday upheld penalties against Louisville's basketball program related to a sex scandal involving players, recruits, and prostitutes. Yeah, I'm hey. But not all schools do that. But every school has a kid with some level of talent on the team who's there on an athletic scholarship. And that's the other thing here. Uh, You do have kids who... They're getting a scholarship. They're getting an athletic scholarship. Uh, the the athletic program brings in millions of dollars. Those dollars are then in turn poured into the program, into the facilities, into the coaches, and into the student scholarships that give those kids an education and allow those kids to play and allow those kids to advance if they're really good, potentially to get into professional sports, basketball, baseball, um, football, maybe tennis. Um, they, they go through school and work on the fundamentals of golf and become a professional golfer. Uh, they have some benefit from their college education that was free for them to be able to do these things to offset the scholarship or to offset the money. It's a complicated issue. It, let, let's just acknowledge it's a complicated issue. Here, here's the problem uh, as well with, with the law, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. I, I really don't mean this disrespectfully. But everybody looks at UGA. To a degree, they look at Georgia Tech. But a law like this in Georgia would affect Valdosta State. It would affect Georgia Southern. It would affect North Georgia College. It would affect uh, Middle Georgia. It would affect... Um, it would affect... Uh, 
what is it, uh, Georgia, Georgia College and State University, which is bizarre. It would affect West Georgia College. It would affect Armstrong State. Uh, it would affect every school in Georgia, not just UGA. Everybody looks at the, the UGA football team. They see the amount of money that school raises. It's on everybody's radar right now. It's a really good football team this year, thank the Lord. Um, but what about the small school in the state? What about the small state school? What about the small private school? What about uh, those schools? If you're allowing those players to get agents, does it undermine the team? Does the does the player who is at Valdosta State decide he needs to bail on his team at Valdosta State and try to get on a team elsewhere in the state where he's got a better shot at cashing in? I a, a friend floated an idea yesterday that maybe there's a way to do stipends. So you can't go hire an agent, but let's let them earn a little money. Let's let them earn a little money that they can then pass on to their family if they want or put it in trust for them. Uh, and I kind of like that trust idea too, that you earn money, it's put into a trust. And if you graduate, it, the condition is you have to graduate, whether you go into the NFL or, or the NBA or Major League Baseball or wh whether you don't, whether you go off and you run your dad's uh, car lot after you graduate, as long as you graduate, you then get that trust money. It's not a bad proposal. Now, what would it do to help the families of the kids who are there, the kids, families who are struggling, uh, struggling to support their their son or daughter who is in an athletic program out of school, uh, and the family sees that kid's success on the field as their ticket to ride? Doesn't help them. I still think the better solution is to get the NCAA to back down. Let school boosters do it. If you've got a booster program at your school and that booster program wants to help the family of a child because the family's in need, let them. Let them help. If the kid's working as a bartender and wants to, wants to sign their autograph to something for some money, let them. I, I don't care. Here's the other thing is not all the students are that good. And there's no reason to be mean about it. It's just the reality of the situation. Not everyone is a Jake from. Not everyone's going to be that successful. Not everyone is going to be uh, whoever the star college baseball player is or the star college basketball player. Not everyone's going to be that person. So they're not all going to be able to cash in. And that's true. And I do think that it can breed jealousy on the field, on the court. If you have some of these players who are cashing in, making loads of money off their image, overshadowing the rest of the team, because it is a team, it is a team sport. It is not an individual thing. And it would be very bad for, I think, the morale of the team overall to have one of them cashing in, particularly if he's, he's greedy and doesn't want to share or she's greedy and doesn't want to share. That'd be problematic, but this is where we are. Uh, Georgia legislator wants to introduce legislation that will um, allow students to hire agents and get contracts. And I don't necessarily think that this is the best way to go about it. I also suspect the Board of Regents in the state 
uh, and a lot of the private schools as well will get together and kill this legislation. It'll be dead on arrival in the legislature when the legislature meets in January. Uh, there is a lot of opposition to this, particularly in the SEC, ACC uh, team states. There's a lot of opposition to what California wants to do. There's a difference between California and the rest of us. I mean, California's a little flaky to begin with. It also doesn't have, I mean, you can say UCLA, you can say Stanford, you can say USC, what have you, uh, but they're not a Georgia, they're not an Alabama, they're not a, they're not a Georgia Tech, they're not a Duke. Um, they got issues, and I don't know that we need to go down this road yet here in Georgia, but I certainly do think that we need to be mindful of the fact that there are families out there who are, their entire success of the family hinges on the success of one child in a sport. And if that child gets injured, it is devastating for the entire family. That kid, and let's use football because it's the brutal example, frankly, uh, the kid is on the football field every day, pouring his heart into the game and is good and gets injured in a game and his career is over and it wipes out the future success of his entire family because it's all hinging on him. There's a lot of stress out there for some of these players. Some of them handle it better than others. Uh, and surely there is a thoughtful way out there to help them. And I would suspect it begins with letting the forcing the NCAA out of the way uh, so that boosters at schools can help families in need if those families have kids on the sports team. Now, again, I am happy to take your calls on this. 877-97-ERIC. That's E-R-I-C-K. Uh, or 877-973-7425 if you want to chime in. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We got other news in Georgia we need to talk about uh, and news around the Southeast uh, beyond that, including a very bizarre story uh, out of Washington County, Georgia. Washington County, Georgia is, is Sandersville, Georgia. Um, let me, let me just to give everyone, um, the precise lay of the land here. If you're listening from even out of Georgia, so you, you have an idea of where I'm talking about, uh, Tennell, Georgia is, um, near Milledgeville, Georgia. It is the mid state. It is South of I 20. Um, it is to the East of Milledgeville, Georgia, kind of Southwest of Augusta. This is a, a disturbing story of a woman named Anna Ann King. Ann King um, posted a Facebook message in 2015, January 15th, 2015. Here's all she said. She and her husband had divorced. And she put on Facebook, that moment when everyone in your house has the flu and you ask your kid's dad to get them not me, more Motrin and Tylenol, and he refuses. Now, if you're wondering, your Motrin and Tylenol, uh, Motrin is ibuprofen, Tylenol is acetaminophen. Uh, for those of you who have no kids, uh, you, you interchange them every few hours. They're both fever reducers, but you can only take so much of either one, particularly the acetaminophen. You can't take so much. And so what doctors tell you to do is you rotate every four hours. You, you take the Motrin, and then four hours later, you take the Tylenol, and then every four, four hours after that, you take the Motrin, go back and forth, and you can help keep a fever down, relieve symptoms and whatnot without overdosing. So she calls her ex-husband, and he refuses to bring anyone in the house, Motrin or Tylenol, even though they're his kids, and he got upset. 
he had his ex-wife arrested for criminal defamation, which is an unconstitutional law that hasn't been used in Georgia in decades, uh, but he has her arrested and gets her hauled before a magistrate court judge who wasn't even a, didn't even go to law school. Uh, he had a friend, Corey King is the guy's name. He had a friend, uh, Trey Bergamy, in uh, Washington County, swore an affidavit for her arrest and went before Magistrate Judge Ralph Todd and was carted off to jail for saying something not nice about her ex-husband on Facebook that was frankly factually true. He would not go get the Motrin or the Tylenol. It was outrageous. Now, criminal defamation was ruled unconstitutional in 1982. The magistrate court judge has now stepped down. It appears that the, uh, the, the sheriff's deputies, though, still have their job. She pursued a civil lawsuit against the county and the sheriff's office and uh, the, the sheriff's deputy who swore out the affidavit and against her ex-husband. And it turns out there were other residents in Tennille, Georgia, who were having problems with injustice in the sheriff's department. The Judicial Qualifications Committee uh, started an investigation uh, against the magistrate court judge. He resigned. Uh, Corey King, the ex-husband in Bergamy, who swore out the affidavit for the arrest, said it was the judge's decision, not theirs, to arrest Ann King. They kept their jobs. And, well, she's finally gotten an apology. Finally. She also got some money out of this, too. Uh, she she won some money from him and $100,000 and an apology. This is really, though, this is, this is an absurd abuse of power, and it's amazing to me uh, that these people were able to keep their job for doing this because an ex-wife put something up on Facebook that... that um, hurt the feelings of the ex-husband. And it's a, it's a Georgia story with national ramifications because this sort of stuff does happen. Let's just admit it. Um, around the country in small town America, uh, you, you sometimes are at the hands of authoritarians in those small towns who everybody knows everybody, they're well-connected, and, and they can abuse your rights and civil liberties. And it happened with this woman by daring to criticize her ex-husband, who was a sheriff's deputy, on Facebook. And she wound up in jail for it. And the only person who lost their job was the guy who resigned. And now the county, the county, the taxpayers of this county are having to pay this woman $100,000 and apologize to her. And, and she should have gotten a lot more than $100,000, frankly. Uh, she should have. Uh, and that county is so poor, it, it, it shouldn't have to pay the money, but they're having to pay the money, and that's that's a shame. What an injustice here. At least it's been righted. Um, we'll, we'll be back with more. Welcome back. The phone number here to the Eric Erickson Show, 87797-ERIC. That is E-R-I-C-K, because I that's how I spell my name. That, that translates to 877-973-7425. Donald Trump Jr., if you're up in northwest Georgia, northeast Georgia, uh, northeast Georgia, if, if you're up there, uh, Doug Collins has Donald Trump Jr. coming in to do a fundraiser for him. Uh, I, I Listen, uh I, I think the world of Doug Collins, and, and I interpret this news as 
perhaps the president would like um, Donald or would like Doug Collins to become the next senator from Georgia. Let's see, where are they going to do the fundraiser? Um, the visit, it comes weeks after the president himself has come on November 8th for a fundraiser. Um, it'll be, I guess in Gainesville, they will do the fundraiser, um, for Doug Collins uh, and with Donald Trump Jr. up there. Now I, it, there's, there's a, an interesting applicant, an interesting applicant for the U S Senate in Georgia, a Wayne Johnson, a Wayne Johnson, a, a friends of mine in Macon know him. I've never met the guy. Uh, he's a Democrat. He's resigning his federal post to submit his name to be a senator. I don't know. I, I think he actually wants to retire. Um, so he was appointed in 2017 by Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, as chief operating officer of the Office of Federal Student Aid. And he said repayment trends suggest much of the debt will likely never be paid, and he wants to move towards a system that gets the government out of student lending, which is not in and of itself bad, but a number of friends of mine have said this this guy is actually a, a Democrat. He's He says he's voted Republican. He says he's voted Democrat. He describes himself as a moderate Republican. He says he intends to run as a Republican. He's proposed forgiving up to $50,000 for anyone with federal student loans, which would amount to $925 billion. Nearly 37 million borrowers would have their entire student loan balances canceled. He's advocated a tax credit of up to $50,000 for people who already paid student debt, which he sees as attracting wider support. Uh, and this guy claims to be a Republican when he sounds like Bernie Sanders on these issues. I got to think so. He is he's 67 years old. He's got a doctorate in higher education leadership from Mercer University. He wrote his dissertation on student debt. He clearly cares about the issue, um, but he's a Democrat, and he claims he's running as a Republican. And I don't listen again. I don't know this guy, but I've got multiple friends of mine who do know the guy. One of them told me he owns a owns a retirement center or something in in Macon. If I'm reading this right, um, yeah, owns the Gables in Macon's uh, in Macon. One of the guys said, um, "Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think this guy is going to fly." And and you know the governor is in no hurry to make up his mind here in Georgia on who can be appointed to the Senate. And I continue to wonder if the uh, current senator Johnny Isaacson might stick around to spare the incoming senator from having to answer questions on impeachment. That being said, there's a story in Politico today that a lot of the senators, Democrat and Republican alike, are taking the position that they're not going to say. They're not going to take a position on impeachment now. They're saying, uh, with very few exceptions, they're saying, uh, we're going to be the jurors in the case, so we're not going to say anything. Now, some of the strong partisans out there on both sides are either defending or attacking the president. Some saying he needs to be impeached. Some say not. But uh, Chuck Schumer leading most of the Democrats and Mitch McConnell leading most of the Republicans are out there saying we're going to be jurors. Uh, and since we're going to have to be a jury, we should not be making up our mind. Uh, we still don't even know what the evidence is. And, and that gets to uh, the Republicans out there uh, who are who stormed the committee meeting 
this is problematic uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, l- let me, I don't defend the Democrats doing this behind the scenes. I don't think they should. But let me at least set the table for you. I, I heard somebody on TV last night say this has never been done before. This is absurd. Um, this is an abuse of the process. There's actually historic precedent for what the Democrats are doing, even if I don't think they should do it. Uh, and I'll, I'll defend them on the historic precedent, even though I think they should do everything in public, particularly if they're not bringing the whistleblower, if they're not bringing the whistleblower in, why do they need to do it behind closed doors? I, I will say this as well. A, a buddy of mine who is a, a well-known Republican said that uh, if there was exculpatory evidence from people like Bill Taylor, uh, it would be leaking and that it's not as actually pretty notable from some of the Republicans. Um, But Matt Getz stormed the uh, room with a bunch of Republicans. People took their cell phones in, which is actually a federal crime. Uh, So now they may potentially be in trouble. Uh, But the big issue is that... um, the Democrats are allowed to do what they're doing. They're allowed to do what they're doing in part because they are following rules Republicans wrote in 2015. In 2015, uh, Republicans changed the rules of the House to allow the chairman of committees to directly subpoena individuals behind closed doors without having to get a vote of the committee. And that's what they're doing. They're following that Republican rule. Um, It's true. Here's Congressman Heck on this. Well, as I was sitting there observing the spectacle, I was reminded of that old cliche that you were taught your first year in law school. If you have your facts, if you have facts on the side, pound the facts. If you have the law on your side, pound the law. If you have neither, pound the table. And basically that's what they were doing was pounding the table, changing the subject. One of the four basic plays that the administration and his acolytes have because the testimony to date, and especially, for example, the opening statement of Ambassador Taylor was so unbelievably damning, they really needed to change the subject. Mm. What but was I, you know, I have, to, I have to add, i got to give them bonus points for the rank hypocrisy of it all when you consider that we are operating on the rules that in that part they adopted when they were in the majority. Uh, and in fact, when Trey Gowdy was the chair of the Oversight Committee and he held depositions on the Benghazi, he threw Daryl Isa, a fellow Republican, out of the deposition because under the House Rules of Deposition, uh, members that are not of the committee are not allowed to be in the room. And Don, let us remember this. This is a collaborative effort between three committees, the Intelligence Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, and the Oversight and Reform Committee. Mm-hmm. In total, that's 122 members of the House who have a right to be in that room. Yeah, and that's why, listen, I'm not a Matt Getz fan. I think the guy's a clown, show, a walking clown show. Uh, and I, while well, I appreciate his defenses of the president, I think there are people who can do a better job of it. Um, some of the, the Jim Jordan, I think, does a much better job of defending the president. But here's kind of the thing that a lot of people missed is half of the there were about 30 Republicans who stormed the the room and half of them had the right to be there. Half of them could have been there anyway. Uh, but here, here is Congressman Gatz. Members of Congress need to hear from their constituents. The American people need to demand more transparency. And I think, look, regardless of what people think about President Trump, it is a legitimate question to ask, why does President Trump not get the same due process from Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats that Newt Gingrich and the Republicans gave President Clinton? 
Yeah, okay, so this this is circulating on the wire, by the way. Um, among the Republicans who joined the protest, 12 of them are members of the Oversight or Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, meaning they were allowed to sit in on the depositions in the room. Here's Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama. By golly, if they're going to do it, do it in public. Don't hide it from the American people. Show your face where we can all see the travesty. Now, let me... And the degradation of our republic oh, that you are engaged in. Sorry about that. Uh, hiccup in the clip. Uh, l- let me explain to you guys, if I can, their precedent. And, and we can agree, we can uh, disagree with them for doing it this way, but they do have historic precedent. Uh, going back to the Nixon impeachment, the Nixon impeachment began uh, the day after uh, the firings in the Justice Department where it was uh, Antonin Scalia who had, or no, it was uh, William Rehnquist who had to fire all the people above him in the Justice Department uh, on the president's orders. And the Democrats immediately the next day began making inquiries as to why all these people were fired, uh, including Archibald Cox and others, uh, who were investigating uh, Watergate and what actually happened. Nixon insisted they all be fired. Um, one after another, they all resigned instead of being fired. And ultimately, because none of them wanted to fire the prosecutor who was investigating it, ultimately it was left to William Rehnquist, who became Chief Justice of the United States, uh, to do the firing. And the House began the next day, uh, November 1st, uh, 1973, uh, inquiring into impeachment. The Judiciary Committee of the House formed what they called an impeachment inquiry. Much as House Democrats now have formed an impeachment inquiry. And they went behind closed doors. And they subpoenaed people behind closed doors. And they interviewed people. And they sent requests for production of documents. And they sent uh, for more witnesses. And they built a dossier of documents and depositions. And once they had that done, they went to the floor of the House. They drafted a resolution on the floor of the House calling for a formal uh, public inquiry of impeachment before the Judiciary Committee. And so then it went back to the Judiciary Committee, and that's where all of the people who had been um, who had been interviewed in the documents, they were produced in public and said, here's what we have. And the Republicans in public were allowed to cross-examine them and bring in their own witnesses, and they had a due process system where Republicans were allowed to provide exculpatory evidence to build the case against Richard Nixon. Now, ultimately, Nixon resigned as they began to draft the Articles of Impeachment. And the Articles of Impeachment, the very first Article of Impeachment, was not about a criminal violation. It was about an abuse of power. Uh, It was about Richard Nixon uh, pressured the FBI to investigate his political opponents. It was the president's legal right to order the FBI to launch an investigation. But the president ordering the FBI to launch an investigation into his political opponents was an abuse of power. The Democrats and then a lot of Republicans also decided. Now, the Republicans behind the scenes during that time, if you go back and read the newspapers of the day, were saying exactly what the Republicans today are saying, that this is a witch witch hunt uh, behind closed doors. This needs to be out in the open. We need to see what's going on. 
and the Democrats refused. It, it, I mean, it is history repeating itself. If you go back and you read the newspapers of the 19, of 1973, the behind-closed-doors impeachment inquiry process, what the Republicans are saying now, is exactly what the Republicans are saying then. And I agree with them this needs to be uh, in public. Adam Kinzinger is a Republican veteran. Uh, he's a member of Congress. He is not a fan of the president at all. But listen to what he had to say. No, look, I, I was in the Syria hearing when all it happened. I don't know. I've just seen the press reports. I wasn't part of it. And uh, you can't take your phone into the skiff. So, uh, But they do have a point in that these proceedings, I think, should be out in the open. It's only fair we get selective leaks. Uh, but I don't know a lot more than what's being reported. I'll talk to some of them probably during votes in the next half hour. You're a veteran of the Air Force, so you, you deal with classified information all the time. You know what is skiff. But tell our viewers, why is it potentially so dangerous to bring in cell phones, to bring cell phones into the skiff? Well, cell phones are prohibited in a skiff because they can be listened to. Uh, you know, hackers can activate cameras. Obviously, things can be recorded, pictures can be taken of things where you're not supposed to have that. that that's a question I have. You know, this, this testimony uh, from Ambassador Taylor yesterday was taken by a cell phone camera, as you can see in the shadow. So uh, I don't know how that got out either. But uh, look, bottom line is skiff's the skiff. Like, this is all classified information we should all keep it classified and i do think in this impeachment inquiry uh they really should bring that out in the open but it's their, it's a political decision they have to make it is a political decision they have to make and they should bring it out of the open uh but he's also right uh they should not have had cell phones in this room uh, and the reason is because these rooms are built essentially underground under the capitol uh, they're large enough for a large number of people to, to attend, but they keep out cell phones, uh, one for the location of the room and two, uh, because there is classified information that's in there and they don't want the Chinese to have, uh, surveillance software on these phones, tracking the location precisely of where the room is. Um, you go behind a series of closed doors to get into the room, so that reveals the room's location. Uh, it was it was bad form on the part of these Republicans. It was showmanship uh, designed to highlight uh, that they're doing this behind closed doors and they shouldn't. And some of them will actually go before the Ethics Committee now and be punished because um, of this. It's just it's it's absolutely. Uh, crazy that they did it, and I understand why they did it, and I don't want to be condemnatory. In fact, some members of Congress from Georgia were with them. Uh, Jody Heiss was with them. Um, what's it? Buddy Carter from down in South Georgia was with them, and, and I get why they did it to highlight the absurdity of doing this behind closed doors. I think it's a legitimate grievance, even if it's historic practice, um, but they risked the security of the room which they've got an obligation as members of Congress to protect. Their job is not to protect the president, even if they think that is. And and that, I think, is an issue. So, um, But that happened. And it, it certainly highlights and, and shows something that, that I think needs to be addressed. I think the Democrats, sooner rather than later, need to come out of the shadows on this. And, you know, frankly, here's the thing. None of the major testimonies lead. Yes, we have gotten the the printed transcripts of their opening statements. I, I explained this yesterday. The reason they're allowing out the printed opening statements is because they know that is going to leak anyway. And they can't stop the people from giving it out themselves. So go on and release it. But I think it is really telling 
that the Republicans are not leaking any of the exculpatory information that's coming out of the hearing. But also, interestingly enough, um, it it's not um, they're not leaking any of the really damning stuff either. They're, they are keeping it close to their chest, which does make you wonder what's going on in there. Um, but the lack of leaks that are exculpatory to the president, like yesterday we had this exchange where uh, Kevin McCarthy said in 90 seconds, John Ratcliffe completely undermined Bill Taylor's testimony, but I can't tell you what it is. Can't tell you how he did it. Well, I know how he did it because all the Bill Taylor stuff was hearsay. Bill Taylor never heard Donald Trump tell Ambassador Sunland uh, that Ukraine's president had to go before the cameras and a microphone and say he was investigating Joe Biden. Uh, he didn't hear it from Ambassador Sunland either. He heard it from a guy who says he heard it from Sunland who told him about the conversation with the president. But what that does is it does establish a trail of names. Go ask Tim Morrison. Go ask Sunland. Sunland, by the way, says he has no recollection. This is actually pretty interesting here. Uh, Ambassador Sunland doesn't say he's denying it. He says he has no recollection. That should trouble the White House. It should trouble the White House because Sunland isn't actually a Trump loyalist. You know who Sunland supported? Jeb Bush. Sunland's a Jeb Bush guy who didn't like Donald Trump, and I've read he contributed money to an anti-Trump campaign beyond Bush after Bush dropped out. That should trouble the White House. But the fact that he's not saying, no, we never had this conversation, and instead saying, I can't remember, that should be a red flag for folks. Michelle Nunn is out. Uh, she ran against uh, David Perdue in 2014. A lot of people thought it would be a competitive race. It wasn't. She's not going to run in 2020. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of the people who has very kind words for her is David Perdue himself, who actually likes her very much, uh, even if they battled each other on the campaign trail, thinks very highly of the work she's done with nonprofits. She will not be running for the Senate. Uh, they're, they're hoping that Michael Thurman will get in for the Senate in Georgia. Yeah. Listen, I, I don't mean this critically at all. And, and so I'm, I'm in this weird position where I get a lot of hate from both sides. If I don't defend the president on something, the president's defenders get mad at me. You call yourself a conservative. Well, I, I'm, I'm say I'm vote for that. I'm vote for the guy. Listen, the vice president showed up at my conference. We're going to ask him back for next year's conference. Uh, I'm, I'm supporting the ticket, even if I'd really rather probably prefer that that it be President Pence. But I'm, I'm supporting the ticket right now. Um, and then Democrats get mad at me because I'm supporting the ticket. How, how can you support? You're criticizing. Am I not allowed to be critical of my own side? I, I've always been critical of my own side. I think they can do better. But I, I just, I got to point this out. And I, I say this with all the caveats and reservations. But half of the Republicans who stormed that skiff, the, the, the secure committee room, um, half of them had the right to be there anyway. They could be sitting in on these depositions and listening. And I got to think that if they're willing to disrupt the process by storming the room, they would be willing to disrupt the process by leaking exculpatory evidence. And they're not. There are no leaks of exculpatory evidence coming from the Republicans, and that suggests there are problems in the testimony. Uh, Republicans are really shell-shocked by Bill Taylor's um, testimony. In fact, I see that one one conservative side out there is trying to undermine Taylor by claiming that he's getting money from Burisma, um, which is interesting uh, because he wanted um, 
he actually wanted corruption fought in Ukraine and thought Burisma was actually a problem. Uh, he just didn't like the way the president was going about the pursuit. It's just, it's very, very interesting to me that Republicans who are willing to storm the doors and say it's an illegitimate process are not willing to leak the testimony that's coming from the room. And that should be a big red flag for Republicans. And I'm told it is a red flag for Republicans that what they're hearing behind closed doors is not good for the president. Um, and that is one reason I think we're seeing a lot of Senate Republicans suddenly say, oh, no, no, I, I can't talk about this issue at all um, because there's some troubling signs. And what about Tim Morrison when he testifies? And he's going to testify. And suddenly he says, yeah, Sunland told me this. And you know who Tim Morrison's loyal to? Not the president, John Bolton. So what happens when John Bolton testifies? Because you know Morrison told Bolton what was going on. And then Bolton quit. It all starts to make sense for the Democrats, at least. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, around the nation, on Facebook Live, everywhere you want me to be. In many places, you'd prefer I not be. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So the president uh, went to Pittsburgh last night, and it, you know it, it's, it's weird to keep all of this stuff tied together. Um, you've got the impeachment stuff happening in Congress, and it is overshadowing everything in the media, but life goes on still. Life, life goes on. Uh, in, in the first hour, I, I didn't even really touch on this stuff because you had the absurd hearing on uh, Facebook and China and, and Libra and diversity. And in fact, I didn't play this clip. I want to play this now um, from the Mark Zuckerberg hearing yesterday uh, regarding his views on communist China and doing business there. Uh, because we're continuing to have Democrats come forward, not just Democrats, but progressive activists come forward and defend NBA players who don't want to be critical of China when overwhelmingly most Democrats and uh, pretty much all the Republicans are willing to criticize them. But they're all piling on American tech companies for doing business in China. Here's the one tech company in America that's not doing business in China. and opportunities facing America than uh, your ad model. Um or even the question of Libra. So let, let's start with your speech last week. Um, have you changed your view in terms of uh, technology and China uh, from uh, before your speech on Friday uh, to what we uh, read and heard from your speech on Friday? Uh, Congressman, no, I have not changed my views in the last week. I, no, no, uh, 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 ten years ago versus oh. today on your view of China and technology versus your speech on Friday. Uh, Congressman, I think it's fair to say that my views have evolved. I, I probably 10 years ago would have been more optimistic that trying to work in China uh, could have contributed to making a more open society. And today it seems that in some cases working in China um, not only does not do that, but compromises American companies' ability to promote our values abroad and around the world. And I think we've seen that um, in the last few weeks. Uh, in, in a number of cases. So you mentioned uh, in your speech, you said a decade ago, 10 of 10 uh, of the top uh, uh, companies on the internet were American. Now six of 10 are Chinese. So the question I have for you is why are we seeing emerging technologies driven by blockchain uh, projects and digital currencies being developed elsewhere, such as the case of Libra? Well, Congressman, we have 
a lot of competition around the world. And, and you're right that over the last decade, pretty much all of the major internet platforms have been American companies with strong free expression values. And I just think that there's no guarantee that that is the state of the world going forward. Today, six of the top 10 companies are coming out of China um, and, and, and certainly do not share our values on things like expression. So Yes. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, they don't share our values. And, you know, at one point, uh, Facebook wanted to do business in, in China. There was a big story from just a couple of years ago, uh, four, close to four years ago. It was 2016 now, uh, where Facebook wanted to get into China. They, they wanted to put Facebook in China, but the Chinese wanted them to create... Um, the, the ability for China to not just censor content, which Facebook was willing to do censorship of content in China because they've got to do that anywhere they go. Uh, for example, in Germany, you're not allowed to promote the Nazis, so they've got to be able to censor any pro-Nazi content in Germany, of which there's a lot. they got to be able to take it down. Uh, but they, they noticed that China wanted more and more controls, and uh, not just uh, prohibiting stuff from being posted, but also the ability to target and find out who was doing it and look for patterns patterns in people, uh, which became pretty obvious to people at Facebook. They wanted to be able to track down uh, dissidents in China, Christians in China, Muslims in China, to be able to round them up and use Facebook to do it, at which point Facebook said, yeah, I think we're going to stay out of China. Uh, and sure enough, that's that's been happening. So, so good for him for doing this. But I, I bring all of this up because it's a reminder that there is so much going on in Washington that the everything is all-consuming, uh, either the Democratic race or the Syrian situation or impeachment, and life goes on. The president was on the campaign trail last night in, in uh, Pennsylvania. He, he had a funny moment where he said they were building a wall along the border of Colorado and Mexico. Uh, <laughs> that, that kind of tripped him up, and, and his damage control afterwards, he just goofed. Um, could have had a laugh, but he, he doesn't want to admit that he goofed. Um, the, 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 try to, the cleanup afterwards was just as funny, but life goes on. He's on the campaign trail and he's trying to deliver a message to people on the campaign trail to get them out to vote next year to America. And I will always be loyal to you. The job you've done is incredible. In every action I take from defending American energy to securing American borders, to ending the endless wars I am fighting for your interests, your families, and your countries above all others. We're fighting for you. We have to fight for you. And we're fighting for you, and remember that, above all others. We were calling it Make America Great Again. We're calling it now Keep America Great. We will keep it going. Keep America great. Again, this is all about loyalty, loyalty. Uh, the president's with you. He's a fighter for you. And then, of course, the bad guys, the Democrats. Virtually every leading Democrat has pledged to entirely eliminate fossil fuels, wiping out American production of oil and coal and natural gas and, by the way, jobs. These Democrat plans would obliterate millions of American jobs devastating communities across Pennsylvania and bankrupting families all across our nation. As long as I am your president, that will never, ever even come close to happening, not even a chance. You know, just as an aside here, I wonder how much, I mean, the president was clearly, he was talking to a, a, a group that is connected to petroleum and in the energy industry. 
but I got to imagine that this plays well outside of that crowd, particularly as people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have become the, the face of the Democratic Party, and Bernie Sanders is out there with her, and they're promoting a radical environmentalist agenda that would punish people for owning a car. Yeah, I, I didn't play the audio the other day. Uh, Andrew Yang, uh, who is on the Democratic side and is fundraising, and he um, he wants to ban cars now. He wants, in fact, you know what? Hang on a second. Um, let me find this. And I, I, this is a complete deviation. I realized from where I was going to go with some of these clips, but I, I think this is worthwhile. Uh, yeah. Um, so Bloomberg has a story out now that they environmentalists and some uh, legislators in California and New York now want to add a red meat tax to help fight climate change. Uh, Joe Biden is out there wanting to ban magazines that can hold multiple bullets in them. Andrew Yang now wants to eliminate car ownership. This is from the Washington Free Beacon, actually. Andrew Yang says that climate change may require you to give up your car. He actually says this. And they told us these things wouldn't happen and Democrats don't support them. And it's becoming more and more mainstream. And so I wonder, I, I really do think this helps the president beyond the coal industry, beyond the oil industry, that it helps other people. And people understand it makes America more secure and the Democrats would take your freedoms away. Now, here's a little more from him on the campaign trail last night. And I understand what you go through. I understand how you, you're ruined, how you're destroyed. I also understand how bad it is for our country. But all of you here today have achieved something that everyone said was impossible. You've helped make America the number one producer of oil and natural gas on planet Earth by far. I mean, this is his base, y'all. But it goes beyond that. Again, this is a message the president has to sell about national security. It's the free market in this country, unlike China. It's the free market that's doing oil and gas production and coal production in this country, making us energy independent. And then there's this. Listen to this. This, again, goes back to the core message, the winning message the president has. The thing the polls say is what will get President Trump reelected. It's not the radical environmentalism of the left. That'll help. But what seals the deal for the president is this right here. Since the election, we've created... More than 6.4 million new jobs, including more than 240,000 jobs in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Swing states. The beautiful number is that more than 2 million Americans have been raised out of poverty. Take it out of poverty. Wages are rising, and they are rising the fastest of all. A lot of you people are going to like this. For the blue-collar workers, the best proportion. In the first half of this year, wages for the lowest income workers increased by more than 6%, an unheard of number. Unemployment is at the lowest rate. There you go. The message, the economy. And all of those people that came out and they came out to vote, they'll never be forgotten again. The Democrats are trying to figure out where the hell did they all come from? It was something. You know, a number just came out. I don't know if you saw. Moody's respected. And it said that under the Bush administration for eight years, median household income went up $400. That's over eight years, okay? So remember, $400 eight years. 
Under President Obama, median household income went up $975 over eight years. Over your favorite president, <laughs> President Donald J. Trump, median household income for two and a half years. So remember this, eight years, eight years, 400 bucks, 400 bucks. You don't even, that gets wiped out by inflation. $400, $975. In two and a half years, our number is $5,000 plus $2,000 for the tax cuts. $7,000. You hear the crowd there? I mean, this this is a great message for the president. The economy is a great message. The The increase in wages is a great message. Uh, energy independence is a great message. Jobs created is a great message. You know the contrary message? Joe Biden's message. Things were beginning to really move. And just like everything else he's inherited, he's in the midst of squandering it. Squandering it. We need to build an economy. We need to build an economy that, in fact, rewards work, not just wealth. It reflects our values. And that's going to start, I'm going to start by reversing the Trump tax cuts for the super wealthy and corporations. Wealthy didn't need them in the first place. And corporations have spent them on stock buybacks to further give benefits to their, to their stockholders, but more importantly, to their CEOs. You know, it used Not to be true. when Reagan was president, the average CEO of the Fortune 500 companies made 36 or 37 times what the average employee made from vice president all the way down. You know what it is today? Over 420 times as much. What happened? As my mother would say, who died and left them boss? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this This is the contrary message from Joe Biden to the president. Here's the president. I've played you now the president's clips last night from, from last night. I'm fighting for you. The Democrats are fighting against you. I've created over 6.4 million jobs. Uh, I've seen the blue-collar pay go up $7,000. I've made us energy independent. And what is Joe Biden's message? Well, actually, it was Barack Obama who did that. It just kicked into effect under you, and now we're going to take all the tax cuts back. That's not really a good message for Joe Biden to be making. And that's the best message he's got is that everything Trump takes credit for is actually what Barack Obama did. I, you know, listen, I realize that if Donald Trump loses in 2020, there are going to be a lot of people out there who, for the next four years, with a Democrat in the White House, blame every bad thing on the lingering effects of Donald Trump. And there will be some people who believe, who believe it. But at some point, you got to take credit for your, your own actions. And uh, Donald Trump can legitimately say he kept the economy supercharged with these tax cuts. And most people remember getting a bonus in their check in their take home pay because of the tax cuts. For Joe Biden to say he's now going to undo those tax cuts, uh, that's a really dumb thing for him to say. And it plays well in progressive circles. But I don't think it plays very well with most people out there right now because they remember getting that money in their paychecks. If you've listened the entire three hours today, you will notice I'm using the short segments to talk about this story. Um, I, I think it's somewhat spiraling out of control, and let me see if I can pull it back in a little bit. And if you want to call on the program today, 877-97-ERIC, 
This is the story in Texas. Uh, the, the woman and her husband who are getting a divorce, they have twin seven-year-old sons, James and Jude. Uh, interesting name choices, don't you think? James and Jude, uh, the brothers of Jesus in the Bible, um, books in the Bible named after them. You know, some people think that the book of James is named for uh, the apostle James, and it's not. It's actually was written by Jesus's half-brother, Jude as well, Jesus's half-brother. Um, wrote those two books of the Bible, and they are brothers of Christ who did not accept him as God incarnate while he was alive, and after his death, they did. Uh, and they both went to their deaths proclaiming him the risen Lord, which is uh, highly unusual to have two brothers uh, claim that you actually were God and, and not their brother. Uh, something had to have happened. Uh, we've got plenty of historic evidence of, for all of this and, and these claims and, and their existence. Uh, but these two twin seven-year-old boys, uh, James and Jude, and James has decided he is a she. A jury in Texas has awarded the mother sole custody, and a judge has ordered the father to keep his distance unless he's willing to affirm that James is now a girl. Um, there's a red flag in the story. And I missed it at first because this this whole story makes me outraged. It makes me mad at the judge. It makes me mad at the mother. A seven-year-old doesn't know what the seven-year-old wants for dinner that night, uh, let alone that he is a she. And the parents are going through a messy divorce. Uh, you got a twin brother. You're coming up with a way to distinguish yourself. Well, guess what you're doing? Uh, you're, you're claiming you're a girl now and mom is giving you all sorts of attention. She never gave you before you're the, you're at the spotlight, but there's something that's been bugging me about this case and it's starting to trickle out now. A jury in Texas, in Texas, in Texas gave the mother sole custody of the child. I'm sorry. I was a lawyer. I never did divorce work. But I know enough about this. I, I know enough from volunteer work. I, I know enough from my friends who are divorce attorneys. The father does not lose custody of a child unless there's a problem with the father as well. And the father has lost all custody and must come under supervised visits. And the jury, the jury, this is the point that's getting lost out there in the conversation. The jury was not involved in the transgenderism issue. That was an issue solely for the judge. The jury was just deciding custody matters in a divorce case. The jury, I don't even know that the jury was brought up to speed on all of the transgenderism issues and the gender dysphoria issues. The, the, the jury was looking at a divorce between a mother and a father and deciding who gets custody of the kids, and it is pretty telling to me that the mother got sole custody and the father's visits must be supervised. Now, I absolutely think it is crap that the judge says the father can't come around this child unless he affirms the gender, and I absolutely think it is garbage that they want to allow this child to transition as a seven-year-old to become a girl. It is a fact that they will not allow the transitioning to happen with with chemical hormone replacement or therapy until puberty but they still want to begin the process through psychotherapy or what have you and and affirmation of this kid when it's a seven-year-old whose parents are going through a nasty divorce who's trying to stand out and trying to get attention and that should be abundantly obvious to every sane person we as a society are losing our minds 
But I just want to urge all of my friends on the right to also keep some perspective here that there are some other red flags in the case that we haven't paid attention to. Uh, one being that the jury didn't weigh in on the transgenderism stuff. That's all the judge. And we can we can go after the judge, but not the jury, because the jury had no say on it, contrary to some of the early reports. And also with the jury, a jury in Texas decided the father should have no custody. So all of that suggests to me that there's part of a story we haven't been told here is that the father himself has problems. You know, there's another aspect of this as well on the gender dysphoria issue. There's more and more study uh, coming out that shows that the later in life you have kids, particularly this was an in vitro situation where uh, it wasn't the the mother's eggs. Uh, they were adopted. If I understand this right, it was in vitro. It wasn't her eggs. Uh, and there's a lot of research out there that the older the people, the more likely you are to have kids uh, who have gender dysphoria issues. There seems to be an age correlation there in the age of people having kids, which is one reason it seems to be rising as people have kids older later and later in life. But there's a lot more there that we don't know. But this in and of itself is just wrong that they would do this to this child. Absolutely wrong. Hello there. Okay, I I have wanted to talk about this story the entire week, and we've had so much other stuff. Things, at least today's kind of a slow news day, kind of, sort of. I, I got some audio that I should play. I guess I I may save it for the save it for the other show. Um, I I really want to talk about the story. Um, there are reports out that uh, so let me let me back up a little bit um baseball has been trying out robot umpires for balls and strikes you know when a ball is coming 90 to 100 miles an hour and it may be a curveball and whatnot um it's not necessarily the case that the human umpires are going to be able to tell really whether it's a ball or a strike. And oftentimes what we see is TV networks put up the grid to show the strike zone and it goes outside the strike zone and they call it a strike or it goes inside the strike zone and they call it a ball. Umpires are, are humans. Humans are, are frail creatures, so to speak. And they're thinking, let, why don't we use robots? We'll use robots to, to, call balls and strikes the umpires can they can be on the field but it'll be the computers that call the balls and strikes from the pitcher and there's a in the drip 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 of these sorts of stories there's another story that's come out that why don't we have uh ai judges instead of having human judges let's use artificial intelligence we can create algorithms on the blockchain Fueled by cryptocurrency, no doubt, um, where the the AI will determine, because the AI is without emotion, it's not going to discriminate against a minority. It'll just hear the facts and process the case in the computer. Guilty. Or I'm sorry, guilty. But you know what's so funny here, just as an aside, a complete tangential thing here is that if you listen to Google employees, they say that you got to have 
minorities participate in in writing the algorithm. Otherwise, the algorithm will be biased against minorities, even though it's just an algorithm. Um, So are you going to have to have minorities help write the computer code for the artificial judge, artificial intelligence judge, to make sure it's not a racist robot? How how can it be a racist robot? You know, there actually uh, there's another story out there. There some stores are banning black pumpkins because they say it's racist. I wish I was kidding. There was a story in in a tech magazine just a while back on why is it that all these electronic devices and robots that are coming out are white? Why is the Japanese robot from Honda white? Is it ray? But it's got a black face. It's a white guy in black. Fa- it must be a Trudeau robot. <laughs> I cracked myself up. Uh, um, But all all of this is to say artificial intelligence is becoming a thing. You've got Elon Musk of Tesla convinced uh, that we are one day going to create robots that really are Terminator style going to kill us all. Uh, the, the, the deadly killer AI robot who winds up hating the, it's human creators is it's on the verge. It's happening any day. Now y'all, I can't get Siri to work half the time. And yet these people are convinced we're going to build AI or artificial intelligence. that are going to wipe out humanity, uh, and decide we're all bad and going to be able to judge the balls and strikes and the guilt and innocence of people. It, it, the whole thing is insane. This is, these are also the people who think boys can become girls and girls can become boys, and they believe that they can create the robot that kills us all. It is, I, I have come to decide because I can't find it anywhere documented. Uh, I'm sure it's an apocryphal story, meaning um, it, it's, it's, it resides in legend. Um, it, it, is, it is outside uh, the view of history, but maybe maybe there's a there to it. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, I am told, um, and again, I can't document this anywhere, but I've heard this now from several different people over, over time that Franklin Roosevelt, when they were behind on the Manhattan project and they were developing the bomb, he decided that they needed Christians in charge. Yeah. The, the silence here is intentional. I want you to ponder that. Franklin Roosevelt decided they needed to have some religious people, particularly Christians. I shouldn't say just Christians, but religious people in charge. Not a, He didn't want atheists in charge of the project because the atheists worked slower than the people of faith. Any guesses why? And again, I don't think this is a true story at this point, but I've heard it from people who believe it to be true. But the the story goes that Franklin Roosevelt, the project was behind and he finally decided one of the impediments from talking to the different scientists and their concerns was it was their atheism that was slowing them down. They were convinced they could create a bomb that could blow up the planet, not just Hiroshima. Hiroshima, as we're supposed to call it today. And so he wanted someone of faith, uh, particularly Christians in charge, because Christians had an end times apocalyptic narrative that involved the return of Christ and the redemption of, of God's chosen. And so the Christian would know that it would be a scientific impossibility based on his faith that he could build a bomb that would destroy the entire world uh, with one explosion, that wipe out the entirety of humanity with a bomb, that that couldn't happen uh, because his faith told him it couldn't happen because it deviated so much from the end times prophecies of the Bible. 
Now, again, I, I think that the story is apocryphal, I, I, but I was told it by several people who believed in it, and I kind of get that. And the, thing, the same thing holds true with the artificial intelligence takeover of humanity, that you have to have no belief in God in order to believe that we can create a technology and an artificial intelligence that could then control us. Where somehow we are the guy, you know, a, a pastor friend of mine quotes, and I cannot remember who the quote is actually from, but says, God created us in his own image and we've been returning the favor ever since. In other words, we've been creating God in our image ever since. Um, you've got to, you've got to be an atheist to think that we as a God, so to speak, could create an intelligence of some kind that could then in turn uh, turn on us as we have turned on the living God and and dominate us and wipe us out. It, it's absurd to think it could happen unless you don't believe in a higher power. If you don't believe in a higher power, you can totally believe things like this. I mean, you can totally believe that the, the entire universe is premised on nothing. I mean, that's essentially it. Uh, between the atheist and the Christian, the Christian can tell you what there was before the Big Bang, and an atheist can't. There was God. Well, the atheist says, well, we, we don't know. that there, there was definitely no God. We don't know what was there. Um, there was something that created an explosion of light. You mean like let there be light? Well, yeah, but not, not a God. Uh, and, and from all of that, we got the planets and we got the vegetation and we got the animals and we got the people. So you mean like God? Well, no, 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 no not, not, a, not a higher divide. Well, eventually, you go, you go back far enough, you, you get something that looks like a creator, the fallback is just a series of, of ongoing eternal explosions. An explosion, a big bang, ultimately it collapses, and boom, it starts all over again in a few billion years. You get back to humanity, and you collapse, and boom, a few billion years more, and on and on. And it, well, what, what caused that? Where, where did that come from? Where, where did that be created? Well, I think I'll take my chances in believing in an eternal God that transcends the natural order of things, uh, but a lot of people won't. But uh, these people who won't uh, accept the the transcendental uh, God who transcends all things and created history do believe that we are capable of building killer robots. And it's becoming pervasive in society, actually, uh, actually, this, this belief out there. You hear it now on a daily basis almost. There's another article about the human. How do we treat these robots? Do we treat these robots as people? Do we give them identities? There's actually an entire movement. You know, in Japan... And listen, I, I'm, I'm going to be discreet and delicate here. I will apologize in advance if this offends some of you who might have kids with you, but I am going to be discreet and delicate here. I, I am a parent. I have, I have young kids. But in Japan, um, there was actually there was a video online the other day, and people really missed the punchline. There, this totally explains it, though. There was a Japanese guy. They did an entire video on this guy. The man saved up a year's worth of nail clippings. I'm not making this up. I, I need to emphasize this here and now. I'm not making this up. A Japanese man saved a year of his nail clippings and ground them into powder and heated and pressurized them and turned them into a diamond. Now, it's a polymer diamond. It's not a real diamond. But he then made a ring and he shaped the ring to hold the diamond as a black diamond that is made out of his nail clippings, ground up nail clippings, in order to propose to his girlfriend. That's right. Japanese dude saves his nail clippings to make a diamond ring in which he can then use to propose to his girlfriend. 
And the problem was the ring did not fit his girlfriend's finger. And do you know why? His girlfriend was a robot. I am not making this up. You can Google it. I am not making it up. Japanese man saves up his nail. Is there any wonder why this man was dating a robot? I mean, that right there says it all, does it not? Of course this man's dating a robot. No woman would have him. But this is a common thing in Japan now where you got robots. Um, People are not getting it on in Japan. Nobody is having kids there anymore. Nobody's getting married. And as such, uh, they are turning to robots for prostitution services. And there is a movement in Japan, much like if you've ever read uh, the Harry Potter series, Hermione and the House Elves and wanting to liberate the House Elves, there's a movement in Japan to liberate the, the, the house prostitution robots or at least give them some level of human rights. Yes, they want to give sex robots human rights in Japan. The world really is destined for hellfire, people. <laughs> but, I mean, they are. They, they, there are people who, who are wrapped up in this, that how do we deal with the human rights of robots? Well, robots aren't human. Well, okay, they need robot rights. What are the robot rights? We have transcended from a society that believes in a, an all-powerful creator to a society that believes in everything. I mean, this is G.K. GK Chesterton's quote that a people who won't believe in God, that the danger of people believing in, not believing in God is not that they'll believe in nothing, but that they'll believe in everything or anything. And that's exactly it. We got a group of people out there now who will believe anything other than actual truth. That you will go find your truth, I will find my truth, everyone will have their own truth, everything will be morally relative, murder's not bad for you, but it is bad for me, but hey, you you took my right, so now you'll be punished, but hey, your morality says it's okay, so who am I to judge? Nobody can judge, but what about the robots? The killer robots, they're all coming for us. We live in a society where people have gone insane is what this amounts to. It is a society that is driven by an insanity. It is an insanity driven by a loneliness of reality. What is a loneliness of reality? When you can construct your own world, and that's what we all do these days, because we have social media and we have social platforms, we have, um, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got Google, we can go in and create our own neighbors, and our own neighbors look like us, and they think like us, and they have our values, and we don't have to relate to people in other communities, and anyone who is in another community is inherently evil, because they're not in our community and they don't have our worldview, so we have nothing in common with them, so anything they think must be bad because they don't think like us. And it's not just bad, it's evil, because they think they're right and we think we're right. And we don't relate anymore as a community. And when you don't relate anymore as a community and you don't know your next-door neighbor, you create your own reality. But it's a very lonely reality because reality, in reality, there's a diversity. Look at nature. Look at the diversity of the animals. Look at the diversity of between the animals of the same species. Look at the diversity of the trees. Look at the diversity of your community. When you create your own community, there's nothing like that. It's a very lonely, isolating existence, particularly it's an online existence where you don't even see someone's face. And then you lose the reality and the grounding of reality that there is a creator who made us all and we're all connected in some way through that. It becomes even more isolating and you start having these crazy ideas of maybe I'm a God. There is no God, but I'm a God. And I'm a God who can create a creature and that creature can dispose of me. It's like the the watchmaker's watch killing the watchmaker. 
There's there's an old historic analogy for Christianity that uh, you're walking in a field and you find a pocket watch and you take the pocket watch and you see it and it's got dials, it's got hands, it's got wheels, it's got gears, it's got a band. Clearly somebody made it and somebody put together and it wasn't just an irrational uh, lump of stuff that fell together accidentally. It was put together intentionally. It was put together in a pattern. It was put together in a design. It was put together with thought. Therefore, there must be someone who had some thought who put this together. Therefore, there must be an intelligent watchmaker. You look at this planet, you see the earth tilted on its axis just so, so many miles from the sun, uh, so that water is the one liquid that when it freezes, it freezes from the top down, it doesn't freeze from the bottom up. It, it, we, we are uh, warm-blooded creatures, we live just so, we breathe oxygen and all this. Clearly there's someone who puts some intelligence into the design to make us who we are, and people used to accept that. Most people would say, now that's ridiculous, uh, but then these are the same people who believe that there is a robot army that can kill us all. People have supplanted religion with mythology, and among religion, they've supplanted they've supplanted the Christian religion with a bunch of hooey. And for a lot of people, politics has become their religion, and we even see that now into these AI debates about the human rights of robots. People have lost their mind. That as as the church declines in this country, and we saw the Pew survey from a few weeks ago, that as religion declines in the United States, people start believing crazy things. The pagan views come back. And by the way, I have to tell you that these views, even transgender views historically, they're not new things. They're very old things. They are thousands of year old things from ancient Rome and ancient Greece, from ancient society, rearing up their heads again. I mean, it is an ancient belief that we could create creatures who would then dominate us. Not just kids. I mean, the, the kids will do it. But, but uh, strange alien beings that we ourselves could create as gods and they would dominate us. Um, the, these are all ancient views that, that creep back in one form or another. And they are views that as, as the Christianity in particular in the West spread, those views were set aside. They were pushed aside. They, they were deemed mythology. And as Christianity fades and more and more people view Christianity as mythology, what we see is these old ideas are creeping back into society. Witchcraft is creeping back into society. Um, the, the spiritual views and astrology are creeping back into society. The, the rise of astrology among the young is coming back. Uh, the, the view of witches and and being able to cast spells is actually coming back into society. The view that we could make creatures ourselves as gods and then those creatures dominate us is coming back into society. These ancient pagan beliefs that were once set aside. It's a fascinating thing to watch if you've studied that stuff to see how it comes full circle now. Several thousand years later, as, as the church in the West begins to fade, the, the pagan views that existed before the Christian church have come back in, but those things are being uh, bred now with a modern society and a modern view and a modern scientific cultism that that creeps into these ideas. So instead of just some sort of um, uh, fabled creature of clay that we could make and breathe life into, and then that creature takes over a, a Frankenstein-style monster, now it's the robot. And the robot, we will imbue it with an intelligence where it can take over. So I, I swear to you people, the, the, the sentient robot and the fly and and the um the self-driving car that is our generation's version of the flying car you go back 50 years ago and the flying car was the wave of the future everyone was going to have a flying car nope now everyone's going to have a robot made and a car that drives itself this is the flying car all over again it is a fantasy and a mythology 
And it is all comes from one thing, and you need to understand this to understand where we are as a society and why so many people are obsessed with killer artificial intelligence robots. And there are a lot of people obsessed with it, believe it or not. The reason is because we ourselves have again decided that we are the creators and the gods. And we know deep down we are fatally flawed creatures. We're all sinners and we all know it, whether we want to believe it or not. Therefore, what we touch, we know we can screw up. So have you guys heard about General Mattis? Uh, General Mattis, uh, Secretary Mattis, uh, well-regarded general, became the Secretary of Defense for Donald Trump, uh, finally left the Trump administration. His top aide is spilling the beans on what went on behind the scenes, including saying that uh, Mattis decided the Trump administration could not be trusted, tried to keep the Trump administration out of decision-making processes, did not care for John Bolton coming in and pushing aside. A lot of people Mattis had come to trust, didn't like the idea of John Kelly departing or um, Henry McMaster reporting, H.R. McMaster, uh, the national security advisor who John Bolton replaced. And Mattis is livid that this book is coming out. He believes it is a betrayal of trust from this aide. Everyone associated with Mattis is coming out and attacking this book. Mattis himself is under attack now from progressives, which is very interesting, um, which shows you how in a society that has set aside the concept of grace, I mean, grace only exists in Christianity. You, you need to understand that. Grace is a fundamentally an idea that exists in Christianity. It doesn't exist in other religions. Uh, there's a very famous story about C.S. Lewis uh, at Oxford. Uh, was there, there, there was a roundtable discussion on an interfaith discussion on what sets all the religions apart. They were having a real hard time distinguishing between religions, a bunch of these academics. At the end of the day, Lewis popped his head in the room, and they said, Lewis, we were just discussing the, the differences in religion. What's the fundamental difference that sets Christianity apart from all the other religions? And he said, grace. No other religion has it. And you certainly see that in secularism, there is no concept of grace. General Mattis served his country well. As Secretary of Defense, he tried his best to steer American defense policy in a direction he thought was best from the con for the country, convincing Donald Trump as best he could to do it. When he finally lost the ability to convince the president to direct foreign policy in a way that he himself thought was in the best interest of the country, he stepped aside quietly and did not attack his commander-in-chief and former boss in public. And now the left is excoriating General Mattis for not excoriating Donald Trump, for not turning on Donald Trump, for not being disloyal to the president. They are upset that he's not being disloyal. It's been amazing to watch the anger from people out there. You know, it, it's amazing to me to watch the anger of people who want the president impeached. A part of me really does think we would be better off uh, dealing with this at the ballot box next year since we're so close to it and you try telling that to someone who favors impeachment they think you're a heretic these days there is absolutely no grace in the discussion